Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for the book of Boba Fett. This is the way. Welcome back to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for the Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 5, titled The Mandalorian Returns, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we fix up our hot rod and go for a ride, uh, let me introduce you to the scum and villainy joining us today. First up, he's a junkyard Jawa who's jonesing for more Django who, and who's also dated Peli Motto. He's Justin Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, fun fact. She dated a Jawa. Uh, you know what I'm that's, saying? That's pretty interesting. I wasn't that Jawa. I thought you were going to say she's she's very furry. Uh, okay. <laughs> and joining us from the cantina across the street. Sometimes, you know, he's saltier than a sarlacc on the sands of Tatooine. He's Kevin, the Clatoonian wonderkind, Hudson. I would just like to go on record to say that as a true Mandalorian, I have never taken my helmet off. And holy shit, it stinks in here. <laughs> I can imagine, dude. I mean, you know, it must get pretty hot and sweaty. And... Oh, it's, it must smell like dirty old cheese in those helmets. <laughs> it's gross. And last but certainly not least, he's hairier than a Wookiee, but he ain't no Star Wars rookie. We have the dankest dude on Dagobah, Darcy Dankferic Hudson. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I still never know what to say when you introduce me. So. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. Uh, how is it going tonight? Are you guys ready to talk about this episode of The Mandalorian? Let's I mean, uh, the book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Sorry. I did think that I pressed play on the wrong show for a yeah. second. It was like, what's going on here? Wait a minute. All right. Well, let's let's kick things off here. Um, this week's episode kicks off inside a meatpacking plant, uh, which is set up as a front for a Clatoonian gang run by their leader named Kaba Baez. Uh, and there's a bounty on his head because he owes someone important money. And who's here to collect that bounty? That's right, it's Din Djarin himself, the Mandalorian, as predicted at the end of last week's episode. He, you know, he casually walks in on Kaba Baez as he's playing cards, and he says his famous line, I can bring you in warm, or I can bring you in cold. And then after one of the Katoonians attacks him, he decimates all of them using the Darksaber, and he cuts Kaba Baez in half but also injures himself with the blade. He then attempts to leave, but is confronted by the employees of the meat packing plant, and he offers them all the credits in the room behind him, and they let him pass. So, guys, Mando's back. Uh, what did you think of, of seeing him sort of back to his old ways as a Grogu-less bounty hunter? Kevin? I mean, first of all, the, the, the introduction of him behind the, the curtains there was awesome because it, it did look like Boba with the rocket pack until he yeah. stepped through and, and it was the spear. I mean, I am just going to say I hate Clatoonians. I've, I've said it before on the show. <laughs> These stupid dog-faced aliens, they're so just like when you compare them to the alien that he rides the elevator in in the next scene. And sure, that just yeah. feels original and unique and very Star Wars. These stupid dog-faced ones drive me crazy. <laughs> They made me think of the Grinch. Like all I can see is like Jim Carrey's Grinch, essentially with the, without the hair. 
I feel like that's yeah. a platoonish. They, they kind of also look like a, a mix of Romulan and Klingons, right? So a bit of a bit mm-hmm. of both in in the way that they've. I don't know this. And thing, they kind of they kind of have to talk like Romulans too, like through those Ruff. those masks, like Ruff, 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 like they yeah. can. You know what I mean? Like it sounds very and similar the big to pit bull underbites and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, it definitely looks like they were designed based off of a, a bulldog's face. No, so I I think you know this scene was was great. Um, I absolutely loved seeing Mando get to wield that that dark saber like it was yeah. it was awesome and you know obviously seed planting this idea that he hasn't really earned the ability to wield it yet he still yeah. has to learn it i really liked how they they hinted at that in this battle like you saw like how it was like this heavy weighted element that he just wasn't actually able to control to the point where he injures himself so um yeah and the action scene like again Bryce Dallas Howard like uh, uh, you know after last year's awesome you know, Mandalorian season two, where she introduces Bo-Katan, like that episode was probably one of my favorites from Mando season two, uh, with the, because of the action, because of the the choreographed nature of of the fighting with the camera work. And here we see it again. It was it was really well done. She did a good job. And I love that. Uh, you know, I think the episode wastes no time. We get into Mando straight away. But it's funny. I wrote down the note like. Wow, we get Mando so early in the episode, and it's like, well, we get him throughout the entire episode, but more on that later. I think his his um, it's cool to see his disposition has kind of changed. Um, he's he's still, you know, seeing him since he's become a dad. He's kind of gone a little a little bit soft in the in that he lets everyone, you know, he says, "I only have qualms with Kaba Baez. Like, I don't want to kill anyone else." And then he gets attacked, and then he completely like slices them up like meat in a meat packing plant, and it was great. And and it's just crazy that. And granted, I get it. We've had a longer amount of time with Din Djarin than we have had with Boba Fett. But like, this is what I want from Boba Fett. I want those moments of flying off the handle and slicing people in half. Like, I just thought it was super, super well done. I think it's like a. It- it, it goes to show me, it emphasizes again, Mando's fighting style, which is just take all the hits and then deal out more, which yes. is, you know, again, unique to the Star Wars universe where he just gets pelted with all these lasers, like lasers, and then still comes out fine and on top. So it's like, it was really cool to see that again. And I feel like it wouldn't suit Boba to see him getting shot up because every time we've seen him in like the animated series as, a, as, you know, the young bounty hunter, he wasn't about getting shot up, even though he had the Mandalorian armor, so... I don't know if I want to see the same thing, but again, that was the action I'm looking for from this series. So yeah. I like well, and then, and then speaking of taking all the hits, I mean, he even takes one from himself. Yeah. And I just, yeah. love, I just love the idea that, you know, it, it really does go to show you how dangerous these weapons are. And you never see, you know, you almost never feel that when a Jedi is wielding them. Wielding totally. it because they have, unless they're Luke, they have so much training with it, or I guess Ray as well. But yeah, they have so much training with them. But so these are really dangerous weapons that, you know, you could easily, he could have easily sliced himself in half or, or lopped off a leg there, right? And so I just, sure. that was a fun idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think Darcy called it out. Like we always remarked about Mando's inability to kind of really be a very well thought out. He either got lucky or he, like to your point, takes the blows until he can actually strike. Just brute force yeah, his way brute through, force, basically. Exactly. So, you know, again, it, it, he still seems like he's, he's new. Even now, even when he has the dark saber in his hands, he's even more, you know, new, if you will. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that they were able to at least uh, keep that level. Like he hasn't, he's still figuring himself out as a fighter. Also, I just want to shout out Ludwig Gordonson uh, one more time. The music during the opening title sequence as a mashup of the two themes was just it fits so 
perfectly. And I just, I, as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, awesome. Okay, here's, let's go, let's go. Um, so let's get into this next section here. We, we then get to a ring world looking like something straight out of Halo. Uh, and after an awkward elevator ride, we see Mando limp to complete his bounty after bringing Cababayez's remains uh, to an Ishi Tib. Uh, who attempts to hire him for another job, but Mando says no and demands directions to the system's substrata, and inf- uh, he's informed that it's down Kolzak Alley. So Mando limps his way back through the nightclub, down the elevator to Kolzak Alley, uh, and after scanning some various sigils on the walls, he finds one of the Mythosaur uh, and enters to find the Armorer and Paz Vizla. We learn that they are the only two remaining of the sect of Mandalorians that uh, rescued Mando back on Navarro. Uh, And after having his wounds tended to, he shows them the Darksaber, and the Armorer recants how the Empire only lasted 30 years, but that Mandalorians have existed for 10,000. She goes on to explain the significance of the Darksaber, explaining to them that it was forged over a thousand years ago by the Mandalorian Tar Vizsla, who uh, who was both a Mandalorian... And a Jedi. Mando explains that he has delivered the foundling to the Jedi and that he has completed his mission. And the armorer offers for him to join their covert as they rebuild. So this question, I want to start off. This is mostly for Darcy, uh, but feel free to to chime in if if you guys have any thoughts. Um, Hearing the armorer share that the Mandalorians have been around for 10,000 years. Like, Mm -hmm. are they saying they've existed longer than the Jedi? Like, I I don't, I'm trying to understand, were they like the first people? For sure. They were really, they were one of the oldest civilizations that have a presence in the galaxy for sure. Wow. That they had, and they get, again, have always been formed around this warrior mentality and like the the thrill of the hunt and stuff like that. So that's very rooted in like a very tribal aspect. We just uh, caught up to them like thousands of years after their tribal origins. Interesting. Well, and think about it. You know, uh, the human race as we know it uh, has only you know has only been around for seven or has been around for about seven thousand years, and you know we can only fly to the moon. When you think of this universe or galaxy where they're flying to universes and different planets and everything like that, they've pr- they've probably been around for tens of thousands of years, if not Jeez, longer. True, so true. Yeah. Yeah. So sick. I thought we knew that, though, from past yeah. animated series and stuff like that, just that their dynasty is lengthy. They they do surpass the Jedis. I don't think that was the, the surprise for me. It was it was the surprise of knowing that there was only two of them left. Right. Mm. I thought I thought more would have gotten out. See, I was wondering if it's only the two of them left or it's only the two of them that made it to a certain point. Like, I'm wondering if sure. the others maybe went to different locations just on the way to run yeah. thing, going into hiding in other planets or whatever. Well, and were those that was that group of Mandalorians that we saw in that battle there, um, and throughout the first two seasons, were they the last of the Mandalorians entirely, or just of that sect of them? Mm. That just one that smaller covert. group. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the word. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I guess it it makes sense then for them to uh, to. Well, we'll get to it when they when they disown them. I just thought it was a little weird because I was just like, "What the heck? Like, why?" Why would they do that? There's so few of them. But anyways, um, I also wanted to shout out. I thought there was a pretty cool performance thing uh, from John Favreau here, where the moment she says that it was forged by Tar Vizla, you know, you see a sort of a, a bigger breath come out of uh, of John Favreau's uh, Paz Vizla, just in the way that like you sort of see his intentions in that moment. I just thought it was really good physical acting in a show where where you know again we have these characters that just will not take off their helmets. Um, I think it's really important, and I, I just, I don't know, I thought it was pretty dope. 
so yeah, one of the I mean one of the cool things about that too is just again tying in the Vizsla clan to the, mm-hmm. the saber because every time we see the saber, it's usually tied to one of them. So mm-hmm. it's uh, very neat to see that again continued on. Yeah, even this late on in the, the saber's legacy, basically. For sure, I like I like that they're bringing more and more of the animated in. Right, what's been established and built in the animated is finding its way into the live action, and I'm loving that. Well, and you guys, uh, so you guys would know a lot of the history that was recounted here, right? Because it has been explored in the in the cartoons and everything, to a certain extent at least, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and so for me, as a more casual Star Wars fan, still a diehard, but a little bit more casual, this was a great sort of catch-up for, for people like myself to sort of learn a bit more about, you know, the Mandalorians themselves and then the, the, the very important blade itself. Totally. Well, I mean, let's let's keep going there because, you know, we then see Din explain to Paz Vizsla and the armor that he won the Darksaber in battle after defeating Moff Gideon. Uh, and the armorer tells. Oh, and we also learned really quick that Moff Gideon uh, was captured by the New Republic and taken in. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But um, the armorer tells Din that the Darksaber is a more noble weapon for him to wield and takes his Beskar spear uh, to turn it into armor. She then tells Din the story of Bo-Katan Kreese, uh, and we witness the destruction of Mandalore and the Night of a Thousand Tears, which is just a freaking badass thing. Um, like, name. Uh, she says that the few that did survive only did because they walked the way, and that they may someday return to their homeworld. Din asks her to forge armor for Grogu, uh, and she reminds him of the way of the Jedi, saying they must forgo any attachments. Din reminds her that that's the opposite of their ways, uh, and then she bundles up the armor in a very little Grogu-looking sack. It was so cute. Uh, so what what did we think of actually getting to see the Night of a Thousand Tears, and what kind of armor do you think they made for our precious little baby boy? All I gotta say is... Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And it was it was like Star Wars Terminator and it was great and, and the flashback was just so reminiscent of like that typical nineties sci-fi flashback of of past apocalyptic events. It was perfect. And there's there's definitely more nineties nostalgia vibes that we're gonna get to later in the mm-hmm. episode. But you're right, Justin. Like that totally fits in with that way. And I just thought Seeing Mandalore's destruction, the K2 droids walking through, yeah, like Terminators, uh, probe droids flying through. It was just, through the fire was incredible. And between that and this ring planet that he was on, I just felt like like the shots in this episode were the best that we've seen all season. And the cinematography, it was either really, really fantastic or I was just really excited to get off Tatooine. Like maybe that, maybe that's what's going on. I, I, I honestly think it it has everything to do with getting off of Tatooine because yeah. <laughs> everything just feels so much more wide in scope, right? Because yeah. it was such a reserved story about Boba Fett on on Tatooine. It was very close, right? Yeah. Versus now we're in like we're back in space. We're seeing these epic, beautiful. Uh, spacescapes that are are just mm-hmm. stunning with and very devastating action like that explosion right oh with, my gosh with, dude oh man the flashback was crazy yeah, i i really like this scene because again it kind of drives home the fact that star wars started off as like the fantasy in space basically with the wizard and then the young hopeful hero type thing and so seeing this you know whole setup with her like mi- mixing the the brew or whatever before telling this epic story really 
set up the whole fantasy feel of like an ancient civilization and all that stuff. So I thought it was a really neat, you know, aspect of, you know, storytelling was to really, again, drive home those fantasy factors from that one scene. Uh, but again, seeing the Night of Thousand Tears was awesome. Uh, oh my gosh. Again, we've heard, we've heard about that before. And so just seeing, seeing what it looked like really drove home how much of a, a devastation it actually was. So yeah, we, we heard Moff Gideon say, say the line, the Night mm-hmm. of a Thousand Tears, like in, in Mando. It's like, what, wait, what is that? What is he referring mm-hmm. to? And we get to see it. And dude, seeing the helmets on the ground, like it's just, there's so much to go back. And I've, I've watched this scene a couple times now and to just pick out from what's going on in that, that moment. It's just unbelievable i mean that's very much like the skulls on the ground that the 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 t-1000s are stepping (laughs) on but for me i think of all the amazing shots in this scene the 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 just sheer amount of tie fighters flying through the sky was such a cool visual and you gotta know like you know i think uh the armor even mentions it like Moff Gideon was responsible for a lot. Of that. Like I, you could imagine, he was one of the the Thai bombers that sort of led that attack, right? And we see him in his Thai bomber. And it's the same Thai bombers that we see flying over there, and it was just ah, oh, it's so un- unbelievably uh, phenomenal. Um, and then uh, you know, regarding uh, little baby Grogu's armor, uh, it's got to be little Beskar chainmail, right? Like, is that going to be light enough for him to walk in, or is he going to be... It'll, too, he's going to be heavy? like Frodo with the, the mithril, you know? <laughs> yeah, true. I, I was thinking it's either chainmail, or maybe it's some sort of, like, pauldron thing, because I think, I mean, you look at the Mando, he's cool. got the mudhorn on the pauldron, and they, they killed the mudhorn together, so I mean, it only makes sense to incorporate that into his piece of armor. That's That was my whole thing, because, like, they are a clan of two, so it'd be... For them to both walk around with that reminder on there somewhere totally. would be really fitting for him. I mean, again, he uh, seems pretty lonely, so right, just, he does he seem to, lonely. He wants like, to see the little guy. He just like and like it. It reminds me when he looks at the like little cloth bag, right, and it looks like at yeah. Grogu. I could almost imagine like that it doesn't actually look like Grogu, but because he misses him so much, it's like when you see shapes in clouds because you're thinking of something. It's like he just sees little Grogu's face and ah. Just I don't know. It was maybe I just I'm a big fan of Grogu. I don't know what's going on. I just got all the feels this season. Uh, this episode. I was gonna say this season of The Mandalorian. Uh, okay, so <laughs> then we see uh, the armor and Din training in the way of the blade, but we see Din struggling to wield it. He says it gets heavier with every swing, and she tells him his mind is distracted. And uh, then Paz Vizsla's like, "Yo, I challenge you to a battle, Holmes," and uh, and he wants his saber back in his family. So Din and Paz have this like dope battle, but Din wins, and uh, then they have to say the whole helmet removal creed prayer thing uh and he admits to them that yes he's taken his helmet off uh and then they're like yo you're not a mandalorian anymore and they kick him right out of the covert so he hitches a flight to tatooine uh, i think to look for a new ship i think uh and after an argument with an rx flight attendant droid (laughs) he stows all of his precious weapons for safe travel uh he has a cute moment with a green rodian which finally we get a green Rodian in Star Wars after like not getting to see one for since I think Greedo. But anyways, he lands safely on Tatooine. Guys, you know, he's no longer a Mandalorian. Question number one, can they call the show the Mandalorian? And number two, what did we think of seeing Star Tours in canon now? Uh, what I thought was really interesting is the fact that I mean, when we left off, he had fa- he had recently found out that his covert or the whole thing was like basically an extremist sect of the Mandalorian culture. Right. Okay. So I feel like he probably he didn't seem too shook by that. 
Honestly, it was more just like he he lost a place where he could have called home, and he's yes. like, "Well, crap! Now I have to go figure out where where I'm going to go from here." Type thing. And so, what's next? Yeah, yeah. But that's the well, only thing I took away from that. Yeah. basically. Well, th- this this is where we see that sort of thematic thread from the rest of the series, right? You know, talking about you know who your people are and and knowing your right. tribe and yeah. and that sort of connectivity and you know very much we saw that story told through the you know, Boba uh, in the first part of the season. And now we see how, uh, you know, this this is the way mentality can be a bit fragile based on sections of belief, right? And the structure, because, you know, there's so few of them. Why would they just neglect him, right? Because he's not pure, right? I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. It just seems like, the right, there's so few of them and they let him keep the Darksaber. It just really <laughs> seems odd what these people believe or say they believe or like what's convenient for them them the i don't other... i just i don't get it man yeah the I only mean, you other... gotta think yeah. their whole creed is that it's all for each other and so by taking off your helmet you 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 expose your individual identity and so once you've done that you're more about yourself than you are for the rest mm, of the pack okay you know? i right. guess i guess yeah but i also feel like you know the 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 note at the end there that the armorer says you know you have to go to the mines of of, of Mandalore, of Mandalore, and to like repent of for for whatever, but like he's gonna know, get baptized again. Yeah. <laughs> but like he's gonna what's it called? Like is he gonna is he gonna do that? Do you know what I mean? Because he believes I in think, his his faith, right? Like I think the idea is that he's going to find a balance. I think I think the whole point of him and Grogu is to reunite Mandalore. I think they're gonna you know I think the show is gonna go from the Mandalorian in the literal sense. To then becoming the Mandalorian as defined by Din Djarin, changing the way. You know what I mean? Like he's gonna be like, Ooh, he's gonna be like, nah, 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 that was right. the way, but this, <laughs> this is the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're I all just know. gonna say that was the way. That was the way, exactly, <laughs> right? Oh, and just I mean, going back to you know his, him swinging the saber with the armorer there, and her, him talking, her talking about how uh, he's not controlling the blade or fighting with it; he's fighting against it. Yeah. I, I, echoes a lot of uh, Kanan teaching Sabine in Rebels. Mm. She talk, was talking about how totally. it's different than other lightsabers in that it's a constant flow of energy that's being pulled from you and it's feeding off your emotions and, and everything else, your, your thoughts. Yeah. So the fact that he is, he seems to be very term- like like lost right now without Grogu after coming to the realization that the, you know, the sect that he grew up in is kind of crazy compared to other Mandalorians. He's just, he's in a very confusing place right now. And it goes to show that that blade is he's that lost. much heavier because yeah. of it. He's, yeah. he, so I wrote a note. It, the, the one thing that I took away from this going into season three of the Mandalorian is that he has lost his way because he does not have Grogu, right? He does not mm. obviously have his, his people. This, this episode lays some really compelling groundwork for the Mandalorian season three in the book of Boba Fett episode five. So, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know, but Justin, we got, Justin, we uh, Well, before we move on from the scene, I did want to share a quick little theory that I had um, involving the, the Rodian, the little green Rodian. Oh, yeah. Now, okay. now imagine he's about nine, nine or ten years old, which mm-hmm. would be uh, the exact time that it's been since A New Hope. And we know that this mother and son are <laughs> flying to Tatooine. What if they're visiting the grave oh, of, no. of Greedo, oh, no. their poor befallen patriarch? I could, I could. I, they're only there for a short time. We see them I leaving that planet idea, shortly Kevin. after. Yo, I love can we tweet that, that from the really Eccentric? Hope... Can we tweet that? Please. Yo, is this That's Greedo's kid? That's a fantastic kid? theory. <laughs> share it. Share it with the world. Kevin, you don't often have 
theories for these episodes. That's my not. favorite theory you've ever shared, <laughs> ever. Um, <laughs> he's the bastard son or daughter of uh, of our, our beloved Rodian. Okay. Um, well, listen, I, I also want to just shout out Star Tours. It felt kind of weird going, uh, you know, kind of going on it after Batu came, you know, after Galaxy's Edge came out or, or was, was launched and, you know, ha- kind of having that ride in Hollywood Studios to see it now sort of really canonized in universe. It just helps to really blend that ride together. And you got to know they're going to probably pull some sort of scene on this ring world or they're going to have a little moment with you know, with the little Rodian kid. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just feel like that that whole Mando scene is now going to be part of their safety briefing. You know, when they stop the guy and be like, all weapons, and it's just constantly totally. flashing back to him taking another weapon off and stuff like that. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, oh my gosh. I, I, did, I did like that they found a way to make that fit. Do you know what I mean? And like yeah. give it a little bit of a moment to kind of showcase a part of Star Wars lore that might not necessarily be entirely canonized, but may, you know it is now in in, it, in the way they portray. Pretty much, yeah. So, Dude, I mean, if they if they Galaxy's have, if they Edge is next, the, you know, if, <laughs> if they change the the video of the little kid getting buckled in by his parent, and instead is it's Greedo's son sitting there, and his mom like buckles him in, and then he looks to the right to see his dad, but then gets all. <laughs> Oh, my my heart. Okay, well, (laughs) uh, once he's landed in Moss Eisley, he makes his way to uh, and then rescues everyone's favorite junkyard mechanic. Pelimoto is back uh, from (laughs) he rescues her from a giant womp rat. uh, And he mentions she uh, she found a ship for him uh, and she reveals to him that she found an N1 Naboo starfighter. Yeah, she's freaking dope. Um, After some trepidation, she convinces him to help her putting it uh, finish putting it together. And she talks about her past love life and how she dated a Jawa once, uh, saying they're quite furry. Um, and then we, we get a dope montage of them fixing up the ship. Uh, and the Jawas return with a part that they crimped off a Pike Spice Runner ship. Uh, they fire it up and Mando takes it for a spin. Uh, he flies over Moss Eisley. He flies through freaking Beggar's Canyon uh, and then up into space as he travels by that same Rodian kid. And like, listen, we talked about Star Wars being a little bit too sort of childish in, in, in with the whole race on the little mopeds or whatever. But this moment as sort of, cheesy as it was it was the perfect 90s star wars cheese that we needed and i want to ask you guys what did you think of this new chromed out starfighter and are we all pre-ordering the lego set right now (laughs) just wizard that's wizard man wizard yeah wizard that was it that was the perfect cap to that scene too because Mm -hmm. you know we talk about you know how fan service can be kind of handled right i feel like nate had a lot of problems with uh Okay, uh, we're bringing it up. Again. Season one, up. <laughs> the Mandalorian season one. Uh, I think it was chapter five when we actually get that reveal of of Boba being alive with yeah. at the end fi- finding Fennec. Um, this I feel like does some of the similar tropes where it's showing us the places that we as the audience have already been to in past movies, and you know they're being relived in a new moment with a new character, and they don't necessarily know the significance of that place, but we do as an audience. It's a, it was a really nice nod to the fans of appreciating the prequels, right? So, and that ship looks dope. 
Well, it, it absolutely does. I think to, to defend myself a little bit, I think my problem at the time of that episode was that I just had an issue with sort of the most obvious of Star Wars things to be showing off. Whereas here, these were like, deep cuts that really hit home for, I mean, at least me as a Star Wars fan. I mean, faster than a father, right? The horse dog things from episode eight, everyone's favorite uh, moment. Uh, But then, you know, talking about like a Naboo starfighter and how he doesn't need a docking ring which are those, you know, we see them all the time in the prequel trilogy, right? Where, where... And, and in the animated series. Oh, and my gosh. Anakin and, and Obi-Wan always use them. Yeah. And they, I mean, it's, it's also, like... wasn't that the ship that Anakin took his first flight in when he was on Naboo? Yeah. Like, he hops in there with R2, and yeah. then they go out and start, you yeah. know... No, I... I that's the whole shit, like, that's, that's, ship, like... I think yeah. that was the biggest significance for me, at least, is that it was the same ship that Anakin flew when he was a kid. Um, Dude, and then, okay, and then BD, the BD droid from Jedi <laughs> yeah, Fallen yeah. Order. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then pod racing, like, through Baker's Canyon, dude. Like, it's just so hype. I think I, I, I think this episode made me realize how much I actually love Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Like, <laughs> I really do think that this episode sealed the deal for me on that I am a huge fan of it. Because that, for me, was my first introduction into Star Wars. Um, and, dude, it's just... It was so good. It was so good. Kevin, what did you think? Well, hashtag best of the prequels. Please yeah. at me. Yeah. Uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> I, I agree I with say, you. When he first lands on the planet, I thought it was interesting because you see a, a sort of archway in the background Jakku. that looked yeah, it looked very Jakku at first. I was like, I was did like, he land on Jakku? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, the overhead says <laughs> yeah. small sizely, and you know, you sort of start to piece things together. But uh I thought this was great, and the, and the little bubble on the back of the Star Cruiser that's clearly meant for uh, a little <laughs> traveling companion, that that is that is a moment I can't wait to see. It's so perfect. And I got to say, shout out to Amy Sedaris. As much guff as oh. I've given her character, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. As soon I'm as she tell popped you. up, I was like, Nate's going to lose it. <laughs> I did. I did initially lose it, but I actually didn't. I didn't mind her here. I thought the, the direction they took her character where they almost sort of really played into uh, kind of almost like it played up the whole sitcom aspect of her character, like where she turns to all the droids and she's like, Mando's here. Like you would expect to hear like a crowd of people like cheering in the background or something. And I just, I, I laughed out loud when she spoke Joey's like when she's like, <laughs> I was like, that seems like some, some improv Amy Sedaris stuff. That was just, it really worked. Also, she probably has gone, uh, slept with more than one Jawa if she's oh, that shouldn't. I mean, that's like, that's okay, a long right. relationship or multiple that to get that fluent. I mean, yeah, come on. Never heard another, we've never seen anyone else speak it. So that's where it threw me for a loop. I mean, I will say my one issue with this whole sequence in the show is that uh, you know, I, I even turned to Sarah as it was starting, and I said, "Well, cue the the building montage." Yes, um, but it was a bit long. I mean, yeah, that yeah did not I need agree. to be five minutes long. I yeah. don't think. No, this is where yeah. pacing becomes an issue yet again. Uh, I thought the pacing up to this point was really good. Here, we spent too much time, right, just to get to obviously totally. those goodies. It felt like they had a really, yeah, it felt like they had a really cool idea, which this is a really cool idea. Him flying a freaking Naboo starfighter down Beggar's Canyon was awesome, but but they did they need to have this much to get there like it felt like they just oh we don't have another idea so just pad that out right and i totally agree i think i think that was probably the 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 only issue that i had but 
I don't know, man. I think the other aspect to it too is there there was a little a little bit more connection to the book of Boba Fett where where Pelimato does bring up the pikes. She does talk about them a little bit, so we can see maybe there's some connection there. Uh, so <laughs> then he's uh, he, he's flying up in space and he does a little head nod thing to to Greedo's kid, uh, which is just canon now. I'm just taking it, Kevin. It's happening. Um, <laughs> he's he's caught by the popo and uh, one of them being Carson Tiva who, after recognizing Mando's voice, lets him off with a warning uh, and then asks him if he's met him before. Mando says he's got the wrong guy, but just before Mando answers any questions, uh, he speeds off, and I love that moment where the guy's like, how do you go into hyperspeed or whatever? It's like, oh, no, no, that was just... That was just his normal engine, bro. Like, his don't worry about thrusters. it. His sub like, yeah. <laughs> dude, like, so cool. <laughs> so freaking dope. Like, it's the Star Wars equivalent of saying, like, shut up, dude. He's fucking badass. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the two Republic police um, decide they don't want to fill out any paperwork uh, and decide to let him go. I would have made the same decision. So we get to see Carson Tiva again, Mr. Paul Sun Hyung Lee himself. Yeah. Uh, and he's popping up all over Star Wars these days. And, I, I think this uh, is purposeful, he, though. Like, is this? Well, that's what I was going to say. He mentions the attack uh, on the Empire back on Navarro. Do we think this is him a uh, first attempt at trying to recruit recruit Mando into the New Republic? Potentially, I think that that's that's what they're hinting at. I also think, though, that like Paul Sung Hung Lee is going to probably be at the core of the New Republic show if they decide to do something oh. in that vein, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like now I, that uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what's yeah. actually happened with with that series, um, but if if it's still a thing and it's actually going to happen, I think it'd be interesting to place him at the core of trying to build. You know, a, a Ocean's Eleven, dude. Give me a Carson Tiva, Migs Mayfeld, buddy cop Yo, show. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, like uh, he's Republic, like the straight guy, and then you've got you've got Migs Mayfeld who's like cracking jokes and stuff. Like it's just it writes itself, and and we don't need Gina Carano to be a part of it. It's fine. My mom, again, I was watching with her, and she just was laughed when uh, laughing when she realized <laughs> that the X wings had been reduced to the police car of the yeah. universe. Now, <laughs> like they true. went from being the cool heroes heroes vehicle, and now it's just the boys in blue pull you over in the X wing. Now it's <laughs> the just boys like, in blue. It's so funny. Like, <laughs> yo, that should be a t shirt. <sighs> oh, dude, I would rock that. Well, you know, yeah, I just love the idea that they don't like to do. The procedural paperwork. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, if they were on Tatooine and they find a few kids behind a dumpster doing some spice and they're like, we'll let you go this time with a warning, you know? <laughs> no, totally. There's, uh, I can't remember what it's called or what it is, but I, you can look it up. It's it's probably not the, it doesn't hold up the best uh, these days, but on YouTube, there's a, a video of like cops, but in the Star Wars universe. And I believe it's stormtroopers, but like, how phenomenal would it be if they brought that back and it was it was these new republics? I don't know. It'd be it'd be sick. All right, let's get back to the the end of the episode here. So he returns uh, and he mentions to Pelimato that the ride was wizard and he does finger guns. No, he doesn't. Uh, and she tells him that he has a visitor, uh, but not to worry. She locked her out and she enabled the security system, but that security system didn't work at all. And Fennec Shan jumps down to their surprise uh, and asks him if he's looking for work. Uh, she says there's no bounty. They just need some muscle and he tells her his services are on the house uh, but first he's got to pay a visit to a little friend uh, so this brings us to the end of the episode and our prediction segment uh, where we like to spill the boba tea and try to predict where this series is heading next so do any of you lovely womp rats have any theories on what to expect 
uh, in this next episode or next few episodes? Do we see Grogu in the next episode? Is this show just The Mandalorian now? What do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I am confused about how this is going to work in that, you know, they hinted that they were going to recruit uh, Din at the end of last episode. Then we get him. They set up for it. They recruit him. But first he has to go on a mission, which feels like it would be the whole basis of season three for Mandalorian. <laughs> right. so, does he show up with Grogu? And then season three is just a huge flashback, uh, uh, kind of like the first episodes of this. And we find out how he gets him. I just don't know. It's very confusing. I don't. I, this, this yeah. Is, yeah. I'm very confused because I feel like this does feel like it's more of a season three thing right right you know uh, but 100% but the fact that he says oh I just have to go visit a friend is he gonna go and then come back is that all he is that all he's gonna do is he he's just oh yeah I just want to make a quick trip and say hi uh, you know just you know I keep in touch you know fly by say yeah. hey take see a how quick he's selfie doing. Post yeah. To Instagram yeah see how he's yeah. doing see if he's grown a little bit you know I'll be back like a day it, it does seem kind of weird right I think I think the only way that I can sort of justify it in my mind is that yes those are his intentions and then he gets pulled in to this thing that that Boba and Fennec are doing before he has the opportunity that's to uh, book that's, another that's first class That's the only way it would flight. work. Yeah, that would be yeah, the I, only way it would work. Right? Because yeah. from a pacing standpoint, it really makes no sense to send him away. Nope. And then what? Bring him back. Like, we have two episodes. We have two episodes, Book of Boba Fett people. Like, Robert Rodriguez and, and John Favreau. Like, listen, we don't have enough time to do a whole episode of The, the Mandalorian as much as I enjoyed all of it. In in this uh, in this show, it just I I don't know I have no idea how this is going to continue going forward. I will say that if I were to predict anything, it's that we will in fact see Boba Fett in the next episode. Okay, I'm not sure <laughs> how you have a seven episode long show t- without the titular character in one of those episodes. That just seems like a very odd choice to me. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we're gonna see. Boba, I also think we're going to see some some uh, confrontation from the Pikes, given that he's got a piece of their ship on his ship. I think maybe that we might get something from that little moment. Um, I just I don't think we're going to see the big battle that we're all expecting to see in this sh- in this show. I think they're going to save it for Mando season three, maybe make it the first half of the arc of Mando season three. And then maybe we're going to see a tagline that says Boba Fett will return in the Mandalorian. Like, it's just like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, the only thing I could really take away from that, uh, the, the whole end scene there, is that he knows where Luke and Grogu are. Like, right. The fact that you can just go see them means he knows where they are. So I, that that is the one thing. Is like That's interesting to me. I wonder where he is right now. Has he set up the school or is it still before that and he's just a wandering Jedi with a young Padawan? Like, I'm and are we going to get like CG, CG Mark Hamill again or are we just going to get that weird sort yeah, that of like only, that only works as a wow once. Yeah, like that works <laughs> right. as a wow once. I don't know if we could we could do that. I was even like uh, with rumors of, of potentially them – you know, de-aging Harrison Ford to put him at the end of this series. I feel like that even still feels like a bit of a, oh, well, it worked for, you know, the Mandalorian and putting Luke. We'll just do it with Han and, and Boba Fett. It makes sense, yeah. uh, you know. Oh, don't you tell me you wouldn't mark out to see Yeah, sure. If he flew in, if he flew in with the... Uh, from your with, house. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. Anyways, but I, I think I, you're right, Nate. I, I, I took away from the scene when the Jawas come back with that part. Yeah, it came from a pike ship. So I was like, oh, that's that's interesting so yeah. that makes sense like you know he he says oh yeah i'm gonna go see grogu and he 
decides that he's going to up and leave, but then gets pulled into a confrontation, which inevitably where his delays. ship gets damaged. Sure, and he can't. He can only do that to once Grogu. too, right? Like you I know, know. <laughs> well, they blow it up after giving it to us, and it's so amazing. We're like, no. Um, <laughs> all right, well, guys, let's get to our final thoughts and score for this episode, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five ex Jawa boyfriends. Justin, uh, let's start with yourself. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so confused about this episode because it's it's probably one of my favorite pieces of live action Star Wars TV content that we've gotten. It did so really? much in in a great way to set up for the Mandalorian season three, but it does this in the closing chapters of another series and it doesn't feel like it's meant to connect in any way. Now, that being said, yes, this had some probably the coolest Star Wars stuff to see the Darksaber being wielded within the first few minutes of the episode. You know, Bryce Dallas Howard killed this episode very much like she killed that that intro episode for Bo-Katan. The action sequences are so well done. And yeah, the pacing for me felt a bit off with the rebuilding of the broken down Naboo Starfighter. But the episode does deliver on some awesome, awesome fan service moments of reliving those pod racing moments. And, uh, you know, again, as it was said, totally wizard, man. This episode brings the best of the Mandalorian to this series with action, violence, a little bit of humor, but with the wrong character at the core of this story. So, um... While I would say this is probably the best episode of The Mandalorian, this is not The Mandalorian. This is The Book of Boba Fett. So I'm giving this a 3.5 wow. out of 5. Interesting. Um, cool. Okay. Um, Kevin, go for it, bud. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely spot on there, Justin, that it it did have a few pacing issues, but I'm, I'm able to overlook those. And and it did feel wildly out of place. Um given the the length of this show that we're watching, you know, being seven episodes, and to devote an entire one to a character that isn't the the star of this show, it, it seemed a bit odd. Um, and I'm very curious to see how they're going to justify that going forward with just two episodes left. But I'm totally with you. It, it is probably the best episode of not just this show, but of The Mandalorian so far. Um, it just had so much heart and 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 the fact that that Din Djarin is just the biggest mush on the planet like this guy is just such yeah. a sappy bastard a dad. I just and need I'm to see him walking it. in rain on Cor- on Coruscant <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but I, I yeah I I, I it, it got me the most excited for maybe not even just for this show but for uh you know moving forward with these characters and I think if anything it goes to show that Maybe Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett aren't really two separate shows, but just yeah. different perspectives of one bigger story. Sure. Totally. And sure. if they can sort of swing that by having Boba show up a bit more in season three of Mando, you know, uh, then then maybe that's just the master plan at work and we're only seeing the beginning stages of it. Uh, uh, so strangeness aside, I've got to give this high marks, uh, the highest marks I've given in episode uh, for this show so far, just because it was so great. So I'm going to go with a solid 4.6 out of 5 Jawa ex-boyfriends. All right. Okay. Um, Darcy. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed the episode. I mean, again, it was very confusing, but looking back on it, I think it was a necessary uh, thing to do to show us where uh, Din is in his in the life right now, like after losing Grogu 
and you know his ship and where he belongs basically it was it answered a lot of those questions that i would have had had he just popped in and been part of boba's story going forward uh so i think it really will be interesting to see uh just how much we will see him in this season if he does get to go see grogu before getting caught up in everything or not i'm on board and uh like i said it got me really excited for more mando story and i am looking forward to see how he will work with boba going forward uh the pacing was a bit off but at the same time without that there would have just been like five minutes shorter it would have been a again the episode served a nice purpose in telling us where he was and how he's feeling so and and all those throwbacks were are were awesome like it made me feel excited to be a star wars fan remember where the you know some of my earliest memories of star wars uh are right now in the new updated universe and stuff like that so it was really cool so i uh, yeah i'm giving it a solid 4.5 out of 5 jawa ex-boyfriends Beautiful, beautiful. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to mirror a lot of that. I think it's a little upsetting that one of my favorite episodes or my favorite episode of this show uh, was an episode of The Mandalorian. Um, I think it's also crazy because back when The Mandalorian was announced, I remember so many people being mad that it wasn't Boba Fett as the main character. And, and now he's, you know, the Mando himself has become the favorite uh, over Boba Fett, you know, even after this show. I mean, what does that say about what this show has been so far and that they've taken a character like Boba Fett and almost made him second tier to this other character. It's kind of weird that it's all worked out this way. Right. And it's like they predicted even before, even before the reception of, of the book of Boba Fett sort of came out from fans, like that they'd have to pivot and they'd have to give us more Mando. Like, I I don't know, man. Like it's just, it's, I I don't know. It's the episode was certainly longer than it needed to be and had some slower moments, but Overall, like you said, Darcy, so much of Star Wars, new and old, was exciting enough to keep me more engaged this week. Um, and that old Naboo fighter is freaking sick. And I, I'm totally pre-ordering that Lego set. Um, I loved getting off Tatooine for, for half the episode. Um, the episode was just shot really well. Those big sprawling sequences captured with some really great artistry and cinematography. And and that moment of seeing the, you know the the night of a thousand tears i think it's called right um and and mandalore getting destroyed is one of those sort of big star wars moments that will stick in my brain even though it was such a short sequence um i wasn't bothered by amy sidaris as much this time around and she actually she's she's got she had some funny lines that really did get to me um this feels like you know actual um, momentum for the show, I guess, or the overall story, but no momentum for, the for Boba Fett at all. Right, for the Mandalorian, yeah. <laughs> but no momentum for, for Boba Fett himself, right? And I think it just it just seems really strange that with such little time remaining in the book of Boba Fett, we talk about it, I think we talk about it at least once a week, especially when talking about this show, is the aspect of a show having confidence in what it wants to do. And I don't have that yet from this show. I really don't. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where they they go forward with it. Um, shout out to Bryce Dallas Howard for directing this episode. I think there was such a huge disappointment with episode three of The Mandalorian, but she really made up for it between episode three of season two and this episode, uh, which was really great stuff. I mean... I'm almost for Bryce Dallas Howard being a, a significant voice in the Star Wars universe going forward. If 100%. Her trajectory of improvement. Is going up. She should that, do yes. a movie. It's like she's getting more and more comfortable in this world. Yeah. The, the differences between her first and, and third episode that she's been a part of are just staggering. So yeah. if that's the case, like, let's go. Give her a movie. 
Yeah, and it seems like she understands how to direct the story of Mandalore. You know what I mean? I think I think that's a really something. I feel like something's connecting with her on that level that she's able to do that. So it's it's great stuff. Um, I think this episode was pretty wizard, but again, because of its placement and because of where it is, it did knock it down just a little bit. Um, so four out of five Jawa ex boyfriends, Utini. Uh, I am going to say this episode was. Um, All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Watch Club. Oh, did you have have something you want to jump in? Well, I just realized now, why didn't Boba go to to pick up Mando? I mean, if they heard about Mando was in town, why wouldn't Boba be the face to go pick it up? At least he would have been in the episode, and then that would have made more sense to me. I don't know. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I just realized that now. Why wasn't it Boba? And the only reason, the only reason, again, I give it, a 3.5 because I think I'm the lowest score of the of the four of us is because mm-hmm. it just if we're looking if I'm looking at it as, as part of the book of Boba Fett this this felt so outside of that but I loved so much of it and and on that basis alone it knocks it down uh, a you know significant point because it I don't know how this is meant to add um anything to to the story of of the book of boba fett other than just a you know nate you called it out some of these series like to do like you know take a break on one of the episodes and do something outside of the you know regular story sure was that this well i am just thinking maybe we get a justification at the beginning of the next episode and we see that boba is off doing something else Uh, um because my, my only question is how did fennec know that Mando was on the planet. How could they possibly have known that not only was he on Tatooine, but he he was at this specific, uh, you know, spaceport and you know. The only thing, the only thing I can think of, and like this is this is really stretching it, but like maybe when Fennec was at Pelimato's in the past, because she's there in Bad Batch, maybe she put like a little like camera or sensor or something like that that says, when any Beskar comes near here, let me know or something. I don't know. I think the more believable excuse is the fact that they have eyes on the spaceport. They okay. already said that yeah, in past eye, episodes. Eyeball man, so, eyeball inspector gadget yeah. man will is, is spotted him for them. Someone <laughs> is watching the spaceport for anyone who comes the in, mainly the Pikes. Yeah. But I mean, if I feel like if they see a guy in Mandalorian armor walk off the thing, they'd be like, uh, okay. someone All might right. want to let Boba know about this dude type thing. Totally. <laughs> that makes more sense. Okay. Thank you, Darcy, uh, for squashing that. All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Watch Club. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. If you haven't already. Uh, this Mandalorian episode's got me all mixed up. I mean, Boba Fett episode. Anyways, if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, well, let me shoot first over to our resident junkyard dog, the Jawa himself, getting <laughs> dirty and furry with the Pelimato, <laughs> Justin, to tell you how you can reach us. God, that's intense. <laughs> uh, they can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on Twitter at GeekcentricYT or at Instagram at WeAreGeekcentric. You just got to imagine like what that sounds like too, right? Those moments of passion between her nope, I and don't the jo- like, think about it. 
<laughs> I don't want to think about it. Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest shows and movies out now, including our recent spoiler-free and spoiler-filled review for Ozark Season 4 Part 1. Uh, and we also did a really fun episode um, that I would be really interested to see how Darcy scores on, uh, which is our fake or real Star Wars Names Edition, where I put Justin and Kevin to the test to see their knowledge on the different species, the different character names, and the different planets uh, in the Star Wars universe. You would have been proud of me, Dars. Oh, okay, okay. Definitely. Uh, you probably would do better than I. I'm terrible with names, and <laughs> space names are no exception for that, so... Well, listen, you scud-buttled skit, skit dogs or whatever I said in that episode. <laughs> we also have our our weekly This Week in Geek episodes where we cover the latest news and trailers from around the Geekiverse every Wednesday. Justin, Kevin, Darcy, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say... Don't, don't fret. fret away. Oh, oh sorry. Fret. <laughs> 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 yeah.